Good morning and welcome to the Daisy Take. I am your host, Daisy Elizabeth, and I'm glad you could join me. If you're new here, hi and welcome to my show, and I hope you press that like button and listen to more episodes. And if you've been listening, thank you so much. I appreciate all of you. Yay, my seven listeners. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding, but I do appreciate you. And I want to thank you so much for listening. Well, it's Friday, and here at the Daisy Take, we love Fridays because it's the weekend. No, it's the weekend, and we all love the weekend. Time to relax, go outside. It's already getting warm. And you know, I was thinking about this the other day. If it's already getting warm now, what is July and August going to be like? It's going to be so hot. It's going to be like we're standing on the sun. So I need to go get a kiddie pool from Walmart or something and, you know, soak in that every day because I don't know. I'm just going to be burning up. But anyway, look at me rambling on. So that's just my, you know, silly little way. And you know what else I was thinking? I would love to make my own intro for this show. You know how sometimes people have music at the beginning of their podcast and hi, welcome. Um, That's what I would like to have. But I use Anchor, who was bought out by Spotify. And I am not getting paid for this advertisement, but I love Anchor. I love Spotify. So there I said it. If you want to use me, go ahead. But anyway, I was thinking, how do I make an intro? So how do I do that? I still can't figure it out. So if any of you know how to do that, please email me at thedaisytake at gmail.com. And um, just let me know, you know. I mean, I would love to make my own intro. And you know who has the coolest intro ever? is Bailey Sarian. I love Bailey Sarian. She puts out the greatest YouTubes, you know, she has a really good podcast. She has a couple of them and she does her own little intro and it's so cute and it's so awesome. And, you know, of course she's like, you know, way better, you know, different league and all, but, um, hi Bailey. If you're listening, love you girl. Anyway, she's probably not listening, but Um, anyway, that's, yeah, that's my, um, Friday morning rambling. So I will stop talking about stuff like that. And that's just me being silly because it's Friday. And, um, so today we are going to talk about Jean Harlow. Do you know who that is? The blonde bombshell. I mean, this woman was hot and sexy and now she's gone but she was the it girl in the 30s every woman wanted to be with her every man wanted to be with her you know i mean it was just she was the marilyn monroe before marilyn monroe so let's get into it the story of jean harlow it's a little freaky 
it, it's kind of Jay Sebring and Sharon Tate are kind of involved in this story. So you'll see what I mean in a minute. Information for today's podcast comes from thegrunge.com, wikipedia.org, and housebeautiful.com. Harlan Harlow Carpenter was born on March 3rd, 1911 in Kansas City, Missouri. She was American actress known for her betrayals of the bad girl. And she was one of the world's leading sex symbols of the 1930s. And she is, def- she is one of the defining figures of the pre-code era of America cinema. She was often called the blonde bombshell, the laughing vamp, um, platinum blonde. And um, Harlow was was popular for being for her laughing vamp screen persona. And she was only in the industry for nine years. But she became one of Hollywood's biggest movie stars, whose public image has endured. I mean, for decades. Um, In 1999, the American Film Institute ranked Harlow number 22 on its greatest female scream legends of classic Hollywood cinema list. Now, Harlow's website explains that she legally changed her name from Harland Carpenter to Jean Harlow in 1935 in order to elevate her career. From then on, her mother was referred to as Mother Jean. Her mother's name was Jean, and she changed her name to Jean Harlow and used her mother's name. Which to me is kind of creepy and kind of flattering at the same time. She and her mother were very, very close. Her mother controlled every aspect of her life and career from what I've been reading. Now, I don't know how true that is because, you know, obviously none of us were there. But from what I've been reading, she had a deep, deep love for her mother. And I know what that's like because my mother and I have a very close and personal relationship. Um... And it's kind of hard to see life without that, you know? So I kind of get where she's coming from in that aspect. Um, Having a deep love for your parent, yeah. Harlow was first signed by business magnet Howard Hughes, who directed his first major role. He directed her in her first major role in Hell's Angels. And that was in 1930. A series of critically failed films, you know, um, Hughes lost interest in her career. MGM bought out Harlow's contract. Now, from what I heard and from what I've read, she had personally tried to contact Howard Hughes 
um, quite a bit. And he never, apparently he never uh, returned her phone calls and he didn't want anything to do with her really. And I don't understand why, but you know, so MGM bought her out. He, they bought out her contract and cast her in leading roles in a string of hits built on her comedic talent. So she was in the redheaded woman, red dust, dinner at eight, reckless Susie, reckless and Susie. Um, you know, her popularity surpassed, you know, a number of MGM top leading ladies, Joan Crawford, Greta Garbo, Norma Shear, and she died at age 26 of kidney failure. While filming Saratoga. So MGM completed this film with the use of body doubles and released it less than two months after her death. It became MGM's most successful film in 1937, as well as the highest grossing film of her career. Now, during the midst of all this, and before she passed away, she married Paul Byrne. He was a movie producer. And they had a house that was commonly known as the Harlow Byrne House. Um, they were married just before two months before tragedy struck on September 5th, 1932. Paul Byrne was found dead with a single gunshot wound to the head and a 38 caliber revolver in his hand. He was discovered by a house staff who, rather than calling the police, immediately contact executives at MGM, including some of his film industry colleagues which was very quite weird but you know mgm back in the day they were used to covering up shit there are so many celebrities that they say have committed suicide back then um that probably didn't so that's when tragedy struck Though his death was untimely ruled a suicide by police, many of Byrne's colleagues believed he was actually murdered and that the studio covered it up to save Harlow's career. Big surprise. Um, you know, like I said, they were used to covering up things, so that's what they did. Byrne wouldn't be the last owner of the home to suffer an untimely death. So, and this was during the making of Red Dust. Louis B. Mayer feared negative publicity from the incident, and he intended to replace Harlow on the film. 
offering the role to Tallulah Bankhead. Well, apparently Tallulah was not happy with that. She was rather insulted. From what I read, you know, she was like, excuse me, you know, because I think Tallulah had a little bit of an attitude and probably all the women back then did. So I'm sure she was a little offended. You know, nobody wants to be given secondhand roles, you know. So it, it's just kind of, I, I don't know. It's, you know, but she had every reason to be insulted. So I guess Paul Byrne left a suicide note and it read as follows. Dearest dear, unfortunately, this is the only way to make good the frightful wrong I have done to you and to wipe out my abject humiliation. I love you. Paul, you understand that last night was only a comedy. That would be horrible to find a suicide note like that because you really wouldn't know like what does that last sentence mean? You understand that last night was only a comedy. Later on, as they researched and going into his death, I read that a lot of people didn't even think the suicide note was in his handwriting and that he was in fact murdered. But I don't believe they ever proved that. So, in January 1937, Harlow and Robert Taylor traveled to Washington, D.C. to take part in fundraising activity, activities associated with President Franklin D. Roosevelt's birthday for the organization later known as the March of Dimes. Harlow, a Democrat, had campaigned for Roosevelt. The trip was physically taxing for Harlow, and she contracted influenza. She recovered in time to attend the Academy Awards Center ceremony with William Powell. And a couple of years ago, I was in Hollywood, and I did see um, William Powell's, um, Powell's grave. That was really cool, um, being in Hollywood Forever Cemetery. And then going to the other cemetery, can't think of the name right now, but seeing Marilyn Monroe's grave. I never saw Jean Harlow's grave, but that would have been, God, that would have been great. <laughs> so she's over there. She gets sick. She gets the flu. She recovers and she goes to the Academy Awards. And on May 20th, 1937, while filming Saratoga, she began feeling um, and complaining of, of symptoms, like not feeling well. Um, she had fatigue, nausea, fluid retention, and abdominal pain. So this didn't seem very serious to the studio doctor, who believed she was suffering from cholecystitis and influenza. 
And she, he, the doctor had realized that she had been ill previous from a sunburn. Friend and co-star Una Merkel noticed Harlow's onset weight gain, gray pallor, and fatigue. So she was already in the beginning stages of kidney failure, I believe, and nobody really even like checked her or knew this. And on May 29th, while Harlow filmed a scene in which her character had a fever, she was clearly sicker than her character. Leaned against her co-star Gable, which is Clark Gable, between takes and said, I feel terrible. Get me back to my dressing room. She requested that her assistant phone William Powell, who immediately left his own movie set to escort her back home. The next day he checked in on Harlow and discovered that she had not improved. He contacted her mother and told her mother to come back from holiday to be by her daughter's side. And on June 2nd, it was reported that she was suffering again from influenza. But that wasn't the case. So they called Dr. Ernest Fishbow, who had been called to her home to treat her. So he went to Harlow's home to treat her. Now, mind you, this wasn't the home that she had with Paul Byrne. This was a different home because I believe after Paul Byrne passed away, she sold the house. Mother Jean told MGM Harlow was feeling better on June 3rd and co-workers expected her back to set on Monday, June 7th, 1937. Press reports were contradictory and headlights reading Jean Harlow seriously ill and Harlow recovers from illness crisis. When she did not return to set, a concerned Clark Gable visited her and later remarked that she was severely bloated and that she smelled like urine on her breath when he kissed her. Both are signs of kidney failure. Now, did you know that? I didn't know that. That your breath will smell like urine when you are in kidney failure? I had, I did not know that. On June 6, 1937, Harlow said she could not see Powell clearly and could not tell how many fingers he was holding up. That evening, she was taken to Good Samaritan Hospital in Los Angeles where she slipped into a coma. The next day at 11.37 a.m., Jean Harlow passed away. And she was 26 years old. That's just so young. It's like a lot of these golden age Hollywood celebrities. They pass away so young. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. It's very sad. 
1963, the house was sold to hairstylist Jay Sebring, who a year later began dating Sharon Tate. And even though the couple broke up, they remained best friends. Tragically, on the night of August 9th, 1969, they were murdered by members of the Manson family cult. Sebring, along with coffee heiress Abigail Folger, her boyfriend screenwriter Wojtek Furkowski, they'd been staying with Sharon Tate um, that night at 10050 Cielo Drive. And Sharon had friends staying over that night because her husband, Roman Polanski, was out of town, I believe, shooting a movie. And um, she was pregnant. She was like nine months pregnant, I believe, when this happened. So while those events didn't take place at the Harlow Burn House... An interview with Tate from a year before her death um, really suggested a connection to the home. In 1970, Fate magazine published an article titled Sharon Tate's Preview of Murder. And he included an interview with Sharon Tate. So, according to the story, Tate woke up in the middle of the night And this is when she was dating her boyfriend, Jay Sebring, before she got married to Roman Polanski. And Jay Sebring had bought the burn house, the Harlow burn house. So Tate woke up in the middle of the night, saw a strange little man in her bedroom. Frightened, she ran out of the room and ran downstairs where she saw a figure tied to a staircase with his throat slashed. The article speculates that the encounter wasn't just a dream, but actually a premonition. So I guess she thought that she was seeing, I mean, looking back at it now, you can say that she was seeing Sebring's fate, like his fate of what was going to happen to him. Um, Her family denies that she ever had a premonition like that. And the article has suggested that maybe the ghost of Paul Byrne returned to his home um, as a warning of what was going to, you know, what was to come. I think maybe, and I believe in that, if you've ever seen something like that, or you've ever seen a spirit, you've ever seen a ghost, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when you see it at first, it's very jarring. But I believe maybe she was. She was having a premonition of the future, but didn't know exactly what it was. So she thought, you know, she was just seeing a ghost. I have seen several spirits, several ghosts. 
And let me tell you, the experience when it first happens is very jarring. I have had dreams like that. And it is very jarring. It's very like, oh my God. And then you wake up and you know it's not real because you were dreaming, but it really was real. So I think maybe, you know, maybe Paul Byrne, maybe he did come back. And he was trying to warn them. He was trying to warn her. But of course she didn't take it like that, you know. Um, in addition to the unexpected deaths of Byrne and Sebring, their partners Harlow and Tate, two actresses who captivated Hollywood, both died at the age of 26. So, it's really, an, it's really like a coincidence. They both died at the age of 26. I don't know. Maybe the, the Harlow burn house is cursed. Uh, apparently there's been other deaths that have happened in the home and around, and around the grounds. Um, I read somewhere that a landscaper had, had, had killed himself. Um, and that a maid or somebody had died there. I don't know. It's, it's a little, it's a little eerie, a little scary, but I would love to see it in person. And apparently from what I've read, and then I heard yesterday, there is Paul Byrne in the house. He had the wooden beams and at the top of the beams, he had four faces carved into the beams. Now, in my own imagination, I can see them. I was trying to find pictures of them yesterday, but I couldn't. And apparently it's from four people that he knew. One of them being his first wife that he never divorced before he married Jean Harlow. And then apparently when he died, his ex-wife or wife, I don't know what you want to call her. She was found dead the next day. So that's an eerie coincidence. I don't know. Is it cursed? Maybe. But that is the story of Jean Harlow, the blonde bombshell. And I saw pictures of her yesterday and looking in her eyes. I don't know if she was sad, but she was beautiful. Just a beautiful, beautiful woman. It's, um, it's very sad and very tragic. Well, that's my show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I love old Hollywood. I love the mystery. I love the glamour. And there's so many crazy things that happened. And in the weeks to come, I will get into a lot of those stories because I do I do Murdered and Missing Monday. And I really like giving that voice to the voiceless. But these stories on Friday are a little bit more haunting. And I love that. So I hope you all enjoy your weekend. And you have a great weekend. And we will see you here Monday 
for Murdered and Missing Monday. Y'all have a great weekend. Bye.